Hey, what's up, guys, and welcome to episode 31 of Talk 4, the quickfire podcast where we ask four great questions to unique and interesting people. Behind the mic today is your host, Louis Scoopian, that's me, and our special guest for today, Marcus Capone, who's going to be answering our questions today. Marcus, please say hi, introduce yourself, and give us a quick rundown of who you are and what you do before I shoot you some questions. Yeah, Louis, thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Very excited. So I am Marcus Capone. Uh, live in Southern California. I spent 13 years on active duty uh, in special operations as a Navy SEAL. Uh, I went to school in the Midwest on a football, uh, on American football scholarship. I was a quarterback. It's where I met my lovely wife, Amber. Her her father was actually my head coach there at Southern <laughs> Illinois. Um, and yeah, and yeah. And then after I graduated, as I mentioned, I spent 13 years on active duty. Um, I was medically retired in 2013 with a host of uh, uh, just some, you know, some minor issues um, with my head. I had some mild uh, traumatic brain injury. Mm. Uh, I was diagnosed with PTSD and major depressive disorder. And it kind of started me on the route of uh, the, you know, Western medicine uh, approach to what I was experiencing. And right. um, yeah, yeah. And, and then after uh, seven years of, of trusting the system, uh, multiple brain clinics, uh, multiple psychologists trying to figure out, you know, what was going on. And I was just really not in a great place. Um, I was introduced to psychedelic medicine at a very um, kind of high end, reputable retreat in Mexico. Uh, and it was just it changed my life. Uh, it saved my family, it saved my marriage, uh, brought me closer to, to my wife and kids, kind of. Um, reset me back to when I had first met, met my wife when I was 20 years old mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of got my, uh, got myself back and, and her and I were so, um, I was so blown away by the healing nature of these medicines that all we wanted to do. The first thing I said to her is we have to pay this forward. And this is exactly what our friends and teammates need. And, uh, we started our, our nonprofit uh, basically that day. And now fast forward five years later, we have funded over uh, 600 other special operations veterans, conventional veterans, uh, spouses, uh, gold star spouses to go receive uh, the similar or same treatment that I did back in 2017. Wow. I, I mean, that is just amazing. I mean, you've obviously gone through such hard times and, uh, I can imagine, you know, you know all about the, the kind of stuff other people go through, but you know, to pay it, to pay that forward, like you have done, you know, with vets and to give back to, you know, your teammates and everything, and the way you have is something so, so special. And um, I mean, I have been following you for quite a while now, and um, you've come highly recommended by a lot of a lot of people, your teammates and stuff. And you know, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. And um, if you're ready to go, I would love to uh, jump into question number one, if that's good for you. Yeah, Louis, let's do it. Thank you so much. I'm I'm excited. I'm very humbled, you know, the fact that uh, you know, you've received good uh I guess good good gouge uh, you know, gouge. on myself and, and our history and stuff. So it's it's uh very humbling to hear that. Thank you. Absolutely, no trouble at all. It is my absolute pleasure. Right. So um let's start from uh, let's start from the beginning. Um for question one, tell me about how you actually came to be a Navy SEAL then. Why did you enroll in the first place and what was the motivation for you? Yeah, great question. Why did I become a Navy SEAL? Uh so you want the the fake answer that I, that everybody knew about for probably the first 15 years 
or the real answer. <laughs> <laughs> How about a bit of both? Uh, yeah, we do a bit of both. So um, I, you know, I always was part of a team ever since I could remember. I, you know, I had a ball in my hand. I played everything, football, baseball, basketball, wrestled. I was a lifeguard. I was a competitive swimmer all through high school. Um, so I feel like I never knew anything but being on a team. And my senior year of, of, of football in college, when I was done, you know, I felt a bit lost. And I still had, um, I still had some school left. And I was scared to death thinking that at 22 years old, I was going to step off in the private sector with a shirt and tie and, you know, figure out a different life that really I, I wasn't used to living. And I came home one night with my roommate, uh, who was actually a Marine uh, F-18 pilot, went to Top Gun, um, played, played football with me. He was a four-year starter. He was watching, um, I don't even know what channel it was, but our, this is the real version now. Um, <laughs> what, what came on the TV was G.I. Jane, of, of all things. And... Um, the funny part about it is it was actually a pretty good movie, but the, the basis of the movie was that this this woman, right, Danny uh, um, Moore, uh, she was a Navy intelligence officer that tried out for this unit. They called it some other unit in the movie, but it was basically the SEAL teams, right? right. So you had this female, I think it was like 19, gosh, 97, 98, maybe, 99. Um, this female tryout for this special operations unit. At that time, women couldn't be in combat units. And it wasn't the fact, of course, that the, you know, she was in this combat unit. But the story was about this, this like mythical, you know, uh, best of the best unit in the military. Right. That's how it was portrayed in the movie. And I didn't come from like, any military background at all. Like, I, I mean, my, my grandfather fought in World War II. He actually had a Purple Heart. Uh, he was a howitzer commander. Wow. And um, but, you know, and I just grew up seeing this purple heart in the house. But to me, it didn't mean anything like it wasn't I didn't grow up in a house of, quote unquote, if you want to call it patriotism. You know, my dad and mom went to Woodstock. I think they were, yeah, they were sort of they were hippies. My mom used to protest the Vietnam War. You know, so I didn't like grow up in, in an environment um, that many of my you know teammates did. Um, so so to me, this was all new learning about, you know, this what I'm watching on TV and like boot camp and and all this hardcore training. And I just thought, wow, that looks kind of cool. Like, is this real? You know? And, and I didn't know any better because as a civilian, mm -hmm. you just think everything on TV is real when you're that young. Like, Oh, this, this is neat. So that was, that's kind of what piqued my interest initially just going, okay, what is this all about? That looks cool. And then I started because, you know, the, 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 the World Wide web at the time was like, just getting into colleges and being launched and like nobody had laptops. I think one guy in my football team showed up with a laptop uh, at study table and, you know, it, it looked like it weighed 50 pounds and it was <laughs> half the size of him. And uh, we thought he was really cool. But so what I did is I started reading books from Vietnam. I read a literally, I think almost every Navy SEAL book that was written uh, from Vietnam. And I, and every book I, 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 I read, excuse me, uh, uh, I got more and more intrigued and, and like more like this just kind of, you know, raging focus on, you know, what this, you know, Navy SEAL 
um, community was about. And then mm. the more I read, the more I got into it. And so, you know, and that's where I'll argue a little bit today. And, and granted, I do think some people are out there writing garbage, um, you know, seals that get out. But there's, of course, there's plenty that are, are, are doing good work, too, and, and writing good things. And I always say, you know what, if if I didn't read those books about the SEAL teams, if those individuals didn't write those books or somebody write those books, you know, maybe you and I wouldn't be talking today. Maybe I would have done something else. Maybe I would have went in the Army um, or the Marine Corps. You know what I mean? So I do feel that we have to get this information down. So we do have to make movies. They have to be good movies, right? And we have to write books. They have to be good books. You know, I, when, when, when guys are out there beating their chests and talking about themselves all the time, you know, that's when I, that's when I turn off. But if they're putting out good information and people are gaining good, valuable knowledge from it, I think that's important. And so the more I read, the more I got intrigued. Uh, and I remember having the first conversation with my parents just saying, hey, I want to be a Navy SEAL. And they're like, what happened to Marcus? Like, what's wrong with him? Um, <laughs> you know, and then, of course, my girlfriend, uh, Amber, at the time, uh, who's my, my wife now, um, she also thought that was crazy. She, she thought people who went in the military were um, uh, people that came from underserved communities that were poor, that were not, uh, you know, bright individuals. And, you know, we were going to part our ways. And, um, you know, I went down to the recruiting station. I talked to the recruiter. He said, hey, aren't you, you're, don't you, you, you go to the university. And I said, yeah. He said, well, don't you know you could be an officer? And I said, sure, what's that? And, um, I mean, that's how, like, that, that, that's how much I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know anything between an officer and enlisted. And um, I barely even knew the difference between a Republican and a Democrat in college, honestly. <laughs> I'm, I'm seriously like my head was so into football. Like, that was it. And um, so that was it. So I what I did is he turned me over to the um, officer recruiters and I started going down the route to become an officer because, again, I didn't really know the difference. But he said, hey, if you have a college degree, you become an officer. And I'm, OK, well, I didn't realize that the the um, the uh, the competition to be a Navy SEAL officer uh, was ridiculous. They, I think they chose about 15 per class, 15 or 20. Oh, wow. And there's 175 a total. And most of those individuals either came from the Naval Academy or ROTC. Um, and then also uh, many of them had a connection to a government official. And so I didn't have any of those. Like I didn't know anything other than I was told that I should become an officer. And so like, I really wasn't prepared. I didn't know anybody. Um, I, uh, when I put in the application, they, they basically put you in for everything. I get accepted to every single program, every officer program, except Naval Special Warfare, which is the SEAL teams. And so they said, hey, you know, you can go in everything else. You know, your ASVAB scores are, are, are great. And, um, and I said, no, that's not why I'm going in the military. I said, I'm, I'm going to be a SEAL. So how do I go do that? And they said, well, you, you can't do it. If you become an officer, you could you could you could come in the Navy as an officer and then you have to serve, you know, on a ship for two years or do something else for a couple of years and then you can transfer over. And mm -hmm. even not knowing enough, that just didn't seem right. And then I said, no, I just I just want to be a SEAL. And I said, OK, well, you could you could be an enlisted guy. You can go ahead and enlist uh, and then you, you're most likely going to go right to SEAL training. I said, that's perfect. That's what I'll do. So I, I, I did all the paperwork to become an officer, got accepted into everything. Uh, except into the SEAL program. And so I decided to enlist. And um, yeah, the rest is history.
<laughs> there you go. I mean, yeah, good history as well by by the sounds of it. And um, you know, doing doing a bit of my research on you, um, it uh, obviously appears you were in Team Six and Ten. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. Okay. And you you were um by an explosive breacher, I believe. Is that correct as well? Yes. Yeah. Right. So what a breacher? Yeah. So you know, it's funny because when I uh, left the military in 2013 and I, I hopped in the private sector. I was looking into all different types of, you know, banking and hedge fund jobs. And my resume, you know, said breacher. And it was very built toward like for like a military, uh, you know, like a government contracting style resume. And I didn't really have a lot of help to transition into the private sector. So there were a lot of like military-esque terms and everybody would ask what a breacher is. And I always have to explain myself. Well, really just a breacher is an explosives expert, but it's more of a tactical explosive expert in terms of, um, they teach you how to get into places that are locked. So, you know, doors and windows and cars and uh, walls and gates and fences and, you know, all types of things. And so, you know, anywhere from explosive breaching charges, they could be tiny just to like, you know, knock locks off, or they could be a lot bigger to actually, you know, blow holes through mm. walls. Um, we, we also learned how to pick locks and start cars and, you know, break, uh, um, uh, 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 security systems. And so that's, that's what a breacher is. And so, you know, at the end of the day, they said, well, you just, you're just able to, to get in the door to places. I said, yes, that's exactly it. So the funny thing is in the private sector, it's kind of what my specialty is. I'm, 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 I'm a door opener. I can get into most, <laughs> I can get into most doors and the most places when I need to and, and see, and see who I need to see. So it's, it, I guess it some, somehow transitions well. So it's, bas- it's basically a loud ninja then in that sense. It, it, it's a loud ninja, but it, it should be a quiet ninja too. So there's <laughs> okay. plenty, plenty of times that we, um, we got into places where nobody knew that we were in there. And that's really the preferred method. Um, mm. Because once you make a big boom, as you can imagine, it wakes up the whole world, right? And, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, when you wake up the whole world, some of those people on the other side of the door uh, have, have weapons and, and the rest, you know, then, then it could be a, 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 not a great situation. So, you know, I think the preferred method is, is being quiet you know, silent professionals and mm. then, uh, and then go from there. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. Um, right. Well, I'll tell you what, let's, um, let's move on to question number two then. And I would, I'd like to ask you a bit about what happened after the military then. Um, so since you left the military, you and your, you and your wife founded Vets. And, uh, my question is how and why did that happen? You know, why did you f- found this company? What was the inspiration behind it? And how did you grow that project to what it is today? Yeah, amazing question. So how, how did we start that? So let's go back. When I transitioned in 2013, um, I decided to go into private banking. Uh, I was part of a, a, an amazing team in Beverly Hills. Um, and, you know, I learned a lot and I did that for about a year, but it wasn't uh, everything I think that I wanted to do. And, mm-hmm. and I, uh, I had a mentor at the time, uh, actually a, a, a Royal Marine, uh, who uh, is one of my very close friends, uh, to this day, and, and we speak regularly, and Fantastic. he, you know, he kind of, you know, looked after me uh, from starting from about 2010 while I was still on active duty. He, he called me up a year after I got out and said, "Hey, um, come, come, be a co-founder of this company with me. We're we, we're uh, we're going to be hired into Fortress Investment Group, and they're going to fund us, and we're going to build these these healthcare." Uh, portfolio companies. And I said, that's great. I have no idea what you're talking about, but let's go do it. <laughs> and so he, he gave me a little bit of equity and I became his partner and we kind of got after it for a couple of years. And, um, 
you know, like everything else, um, you know, kind of we, we parted ways, um, you know, on the business side. We always, uh, you know, like I said, we stayed friends and we're, today we're, we're, we're great friends. And from there, I kind of bounced around a little bit. I got back into like security and defense. Uh, I was getting so many phone calls. Can you do this? Can you do that? I just said, man, I have, there's a lot of demand for me to 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 do what, what I did in, in, in the SEAL teams, but now in the private sector. So wound up starting my own company, doing some private security and consulting, uh, brought in a, a cybersecurity element to that. And, uh, you know, we were handling individuals and um, some government work and some, uh, uh, I would say, some Fortune 500 work. And mm-hmm. we wind up being acquired by a large defense contractor um, under their umbrella. And... Um, you know, we, 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 we did pretty well. And, um, but at the same time in the background is when uh, I really started, uh, you know, throughout all of this, I was trying to figure out, you know, what my identity was, what my purpose was, uh, you know, why I was angry, why I was, uh, you know, upset at times, why I would break down for no reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I was isolating, um, you know, while I wasn't at work, sometimes I'd stay in bed uh, for days, days on end. And this is, this is more the latter, not in 2013, but closer to like 2015, 16, you know, and then 17, it came to a head, right. kind of slowly deteriorating. And all the while, while I was trying to, you know, build businesses and work and be, you know, be successful in the private sector, I, my, my life was really kind of in turmoil all around uh, between friends and family. And I started drinking heavily just to kind of like everybody else does to cope and numb and, and take your mind off of really just life. Mm. Um, and, you know, I had been prescribed my first medication in 2010 while I'm still on active duty, uh, an antidepressant. But at the same time, I was, I was prescribed four different medications. So another sleep medicine, a focus medicine, because I was really having trouble focusing at the time. Uh, an anti uh, an, an anti nightmare medicine, and I, I forgot the name of that. And then eventually, I had to get a um, a medicine for migraines because I started getting really really bad migraines. Mm. Um, you know, I always had headaches, but these were starting to get worse, and they were starting to happen more often. Um, and so, you know, I, I would take literally take handfuls of, of ibuprofen eight hundred regularly for years um, because if the headaches got too bad, I would just you know, I would kind of like, you know, black out, I, I wouldn't be able to do anything. And so, um, you know, and I don't know, it's from years of football, or years of being a breacher, or, you know, or, or, or whatever it was, but whatever it was, it was happening, right? And I'm not a doctor. And, and, and I went to see a lot of doctors. And, and I felt like none of them can uh, diagnose what really was going on, aside from, oh, you have PTSD, you have, you know, traumatic brain injury. And, but, but they never really had a great answer to like, fix all these things, because you have all these comorbid um, uh, diagnoses, right? And so yeah. um, I, had, at that time, I think now we're in 2016, 17, I had visited my fifth brain clinic. Um, I had probably seen over 20 psychologists and therapists, um, never the right one, or they didn't understand, or it just, it just didn't work out. Um, and I was really frustrated. And it came to a point where I thought life was going to be better uh, if I wasn't here, I felt life would be better for Amber and the kids. Um, I just felt like I was a nuisance. You know, everybody was, was, you know, kind of waiting for dad. They'd walk around the house on, on eggshells. God forbid somebody did something wrong. I would explode or I would throw something through, through the glass. I mean, I was just, I was a terror. Rock bottom, and yeah, yeah and, and Amber was working in the background and with a doctor 
we've seen some success with psychedelic therapy outside the US where these medicines are, are legal, right? And so she had mentioned it to me in 2016, and I honestly thought she was crazy. Uh, I, was, I just said, you know, psychedelic drugs, like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> like so my parents use in, 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 at Woodstock, right? These are for hippies. These are recreational drugs. This doesn't make any sense. And then I started doing some research. I went, oh, okay. Well, some of these drugs were actually intended for, um, for psychiatric use, for mental health. And the more I read, the more it made sense. Um, but I was still now going through, you know, my troubles. So I didn't like, still didn't want to listen to anybody or anything. Um, it finally came to a point where like, you know, when you reach, I'll call it rock bottom, or you just, you're tapped out. Um, I was tapped out. Like I was, I was done. Like mm. life was done. I was done. And I said, you know what? I will, I will take a leap of faith. I will try this. I'm so tired of everything else. I'm tired of nothing working. I'm tired of my life being miserable. Um, let me just, let me, let me make a go at it. You know, I, I had tried it all. I tried hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I tried uh, the TNS, transcranial magnetic stimulation. And all these things are good. They just weren't working for me. Right. Um, so I took a leap of faith. I went, I went to that retreat. Uh, no expectations at all. Literally, I, I went there negative, you know. And, and when you approach a psychedelic experience, you know, the two main things that, are, that you have to have are the, the set, meaning the mindset. Uh, the you know the pre the preparation going into that experience and then the setting meaning the setting that you're actually receiving the drug because if you're like at a rave or a bad party or that is not a good setting that's where you hear stories of people having bad experiences and high anxiety and all this stuff so you have to have the proper mindset and you know set and setting is called preparation and I just I didn't really have that. Um, I went down there just angry and pissed and thinking that this was not going to work. And, and man, I was 100% completely wrong. Wow. And it was a very tough experience. Uh, it was about a six to eight hour, this 10 hour uh, just journey uh, to hell. And I experienced uh, really some really harsh, harsh images and traumas. I, I, I experienced a lot of blood and gore and violence and fighting um, and some things that, you know, went on with my dad and things that I, you know, uh, experienced with my friends, um, individuals that I served with, that we lost, like just all types of stuff that, you know, may have been uh, running around in your, in your subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. All those things come out to the forefront. You actually face them. So you actually deal with them. And for some people, I guess like me, uh, it was it was a flood of shit. And so, you know, that's why, you know, psychedelic medicine, you know, may not be for everybody. If you're, if, you know, if you have a ton of stuff going on, like I did, uh, some people can't handle that flood of, you know, it's healing, but it's still a flood of, of stuff. And so you really have to have a really good therapist and integration coach, either during your experience or right after to make sure they integrate you back into, into normal life, right? Into, into real life and, and help you explain why you were visiting those images during your psychedelic experience. And so, you know, mm -hmm. to, to come back around to your question of how and why we started VETS, my experience was so life-changing and so dramatic and so incredible that I, I literally remember her meeting her in the hallway. You know, like we hugged, we embraced, we cried. And I just turned to her and I said, like, this is exactly what the guys need. Like, this is it, you know? And I, you know, because 
I wasn't the only one experiencing all these things. Like I was dealing with all my friends and former teammates that were saying the same things, dealing with the same things, taking the same mood stabilizers and antidepressants and stuff to help figure out what the hell's wrong with us. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's what happens when you fight 20 years of, of sustained combat. And granted, I was in for 13 years. I had friends that had been in twice as long and three times as long has done two and three times as many combat deployments, you know, so you could imagine what some of my, my brothers are going through right now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. And, and so we just wanted to pay it forward. We just said, Hey, I can't believe more people don't know about this. Like, let's just figure this out and get more people down here to treatment. And that's what we did. And we, you know, we officially had maps, uh, it was a multidisciplinary association for psychedelic science, uh, Rick Doblin, who's a very close friend and he's on our advisory board and, He's been doing this for 35 years and he's finally going to get, you know, MDMA through phase three clinical trials. And it's going to be now it's going to be federally legalized here. I'd say within the next year to year and a half for providers to actually be able to prescribe to their patients, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a medical setting, MDMA for PTSD. And, and I commend him. I mean, he's been literally the tip of the sphere in this whole race. And so MAPS was our fiscal sponsor when we started because we still didn't have our, our official U.S. 501c3 status. So when money came in, we went to raise money, it would go to MAPS and then MAPS would, would uh, take a small fee out, like an admin fee, and then they would send it to us. And then we would fund individuals to go down, you know, either to Mexico or Costa Rica, you know, or Jamaica to receive these treatments where they're illegal. And then we received our 501c3 status in 2019. And then we were off to the races. You know, we were able to raise more money, build a team. We have almost 17 individuals now that are working underneath vets. And, you know, they're they're not employees, they're partners because they're just the most incredible people uh, to, to help Amber and I um, kind of build this vision and mission that we're on. Wow. <laughs> that is just, that is an amazing story. But, you know, one thing that went through my mind then and just listening to what you were saying was, um, you know, you've, you've been through hell and back, you know, with this whole thing and you've tried so many different things and nothing really worked out for you until that. And, um, you know, I can imagine it must've been such a hard few years, but you know, you went and you got this treatment and you tasted, you know, that first bit of, you know, I can actually, you know, use this to get better. And you know what, the first thing you did was you thought about the other guys and you thought, that this is what the other guys need and doesn't that just say something about who you are as well you know I mean you're you're a warrior but it's it's so nice to think that you know your first thoughts about the whole thing were right we need to get the other guys on this as well so I tell you what that is a that is a true testimony to um to, to a great man and a, and a proper and a proper teammate as well so you know credit to you Marcus that that is very very good and um I mean it's just it's it's amazing seeing what you've done with with vets and how that's grown but um I'm, I'm interested though so you you obviously you go and found this company with your wife how how do you grow this business or this charity sorry this charity rather you know from the ground up did you go through your teammates or did you get support from somewhere how did how did it happen to get so big yeah how do we uh how do we grow vets is a great question um you know when we started out first off we never we never we never built a charity uh we didn't really know much about it we uh, we went and found uh, uh, one of the top uh, nonprofit attorneys in, in the country who teaches the program at Duke. Um, you know, why not go go seek out the best? And so he helped us build the infrastructure of how it had to be done correctly, mm-hmm. um, because there was a lot. I mean, we're talking about Schedule One drugs, psychedelic medicine, 
Navy SEALs, uh, special operations soldiers, like this is not easy. (laughs) It's a a hell of a mix of explosive material. (laughs) You know, and the other thing is what we didn't want to do is number one, we didn't want Amber and I to end up in jail. Like that was the first thing. Like, are we doing everything right? Like, is this okay? Mm. And number two, um, we didn't want, uh, we didn't want any bad media or press to come out against our teammates or, or the SEAL community. And that was like one of the biggest things that we cared about and we still care about is that number one, we don't want to ruin our reputation. We don't want to ruin the reputation of the community that I think is so powerful and, and one of the top, uh, literally one of the top, uh, you know, brotherhoods and communities in the world in terms of just everything. Mm. And, and I took so much from that community. And so we didn't want to ruin that. And so we just had to build the infrastructure right from the start and set it up correctly, legally. And that's what uh, this gentleman did uh, for us. And he's still, uh, he's still our attorney and we still, you know, he still provides counsel regularly uh, and he's an advisor to us. So, you know, we, we first got all the legal, uh, the legal jargon in order and we put a board together um, and we just went out to raise money and tell our story. And as more money came in, we were able to fund more and more individuals to go receive these treatments. And um, as the um, you know, anecdotal um, evidence you know, started coming back that these medicines are starting to work for everyone, mm. you know, the, the likes of places like Hopkins and Yale and Ohio State and Stanford started showing some interest. Uh, and then long story short, uh, we got funded by an individual to do a study um, with Stanford uh, uh, on the um, the effects of ibogaine on a damaged brain, uh-huh. um, and that study was just complete. Uh, the results are phenomenal. Um, they're going to be public here shortly, and so everybody will know about them. So I won't speak about them. Um, because I really don't know, but all I know is that I keep hearing, uh, keep keep hearing good things, good good whispers. That's good. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you know, as we grew, you know, initially we started funding individuals to go receive these treatments in countries where they're illegal. Then we got into funding research, uh, Stanford, Hopkins, data collection efforts, and then uh, and we still we we hold several research uh, studies that we're going to fund here in the next year or two. Mm-hmm. And then we got into uh, policy work. So we started, um, you know, we started speaking out um, about a year after we launched Vets because one of uh, one of Amber's best friends and one of my close friends who I served with, um, he took his own life while on active duty, and um, he was just an amazing, amazing individual. Um, Everybody loved him. He was your quiet professional. And, mm. and uh, his wife, Sarah, was, you know, one of Amber's best friends. And, you know, that really shook us and it shook the community even more to say, man, if, if this can happen to Chad, you know, what, what about me? Right? Like, what about, and, and that's how everyone started thinking. And Amber and I uh, flew to Virginia Beach. We were sitting in uh, that damn chapel that we've been in so many times, mm-hmm. uh, you know, over the years. And, you know, we looked around and we just said, no fucking way. Like, we're not letting this happen again. Like, we're not going to sit in this chapel 
since 9-11 and watch all our friends get buried and memorialize them here. And then when the war is over, we're not going to come back here and watch uh, other individuals uh, take their own life in this chapel if we can help it. And that's what started Amber and I to actually come out of the shadows and start talking about this treatment, these options, because we just didn't want to see the hurt that, you know, Sarah and her children were going through and, and what everybody else was going through. And so we thought maybe if, you know, maybe if they would have known about this, you know, maybe this would be different. I mean, you could what if everything to death and you don't want to do that. Cool. But, you know, maybe we can maybe we can help others in the future. And so we said, you know what? Fuck it. Like, I don't care what uh, businesses think. I don't care what people think. We're just going to start talking about this because the more we start talking about it, the more people are going to start to know about it. And then the more they can go seek out the treatment, either through us or on their own. And so that's what we did. So we started doing some small interviews. And then, of course, as you know, that leads to a podcast. And then that mm-hmm. leads to other things. And really, that was the idea. It was like, hey, we just need to get the word out there so people know about these medicines. And so that just led to more advocacy work. And now really almost like lobbying efforts. We're now speaking to senators um, and, and other representatives on the Hill, uh, both state and federal, to, um, number one, destigmatize mental health, talk about how life-saving and life-changing psychedelic medicine, when done properly, when administered properly, uh, when done in the right set and setting, mm-hmm. um, can, can provide benefit like most have never seen compared to the current um, system, the, the way that we're being, uh, the way that mental health is being approached in the current system, in the current way that's, that it is. And so, you know, we now think that psychedelic medicine is going to change the future of mental health care and also potentially, you know, mental well-being and performance. And again, I don't want to get ahead of myself because more research needs to come out. But that's what that's what the anecdotal evidence is showing. And a lot of the research that's, that's starting to come out is showing. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of went off a little bit on a tangent there, but I don't know if I came <laughs> back to answering your question. No, I, I think we, uh, I think we covered the whole subject, which is fantastic. And, um, no, no, it sounds exactly right. To be honest, I mean, you've done a fantastic job of it, but, um, it does sound like, you know, the, the kind of business and the involvements of it are like walking on eggshells a bit, but, um, anyway, let's, um, let's move on to question number three then. Um, this is, this is a really interesting one, actually. So special forces operators seem to be always going hand in hand with extreme discipline and mental toughness. So my question is, what are some of the best ways for aspiring operators and normal civilians to build and develop mental toughness and self-discipline? Do you have any tips, routines, philosophies, or exercises for that? I do. I do. And I think, um, you know, I think Jocko uh, says it best when, you know, he talks about, yeah, he's, he's incredible. Um, I'm actually going to speak on his podcast on the 11th um, here in San Diego. But so Jocko talks about um, motivation and discipline. And, and so, and I think he's one of the first ones to start it. And I think others are now speaking about it, but, but I love his, you know, comparison of it is like motivation can be fake, you know, and, and I feel like a lot of that is even back to my my sports days, my football days. You could have fake motivation by yelling and saying rah, rah. But discipline is what really gets you forward. 
right? Yeah. It really moves the needle because when you're not motivated, discipline is what gets you moving. And I struggle with it now. I don't know, maybe it's because I'm 45 and I'm just not like, <laughs> not as not as hard as I was 20 years ago. But, you know, getting back, getting out of bed in the morning, working out, um, you know, staying up late to answer emails or to, you know, work on a, a presentation that, you know, that may need some extra work. It's hard to get motivated to do some of these things, especially when you're tired or you're hurt um, or other circumstances sound like other things sound more enjoyable to do. It's the discipline that keeps you on track and, and, and will really make the difference. And so, you know, things like in this sounds this may sound stupid, but, you know, the number one uh, the number one reason why individuals fail out of SEAL training, and, and it's really what separates you know, our unit from all the other special operations units is the water and the cold. And it's all I've read about is how miserable it is to be that cold, not for like 10 minutes, but for like 10 hours. <laughs> sure. Right? And so I, I just, how do you prepare for that? And so, you know what I did? Cause I even, I read it in some of these books and I took cold showers for like over a year. I mean, literally as cold as I can find, I didn't take a single hot shower. I just took cold showers. And you know what? I don't know if it like did anything physiologically for me preparing to go to buds, but I know mentally 100% it helped because it just helped me finally just turn it off. Like, oh yeah, it's a cold shower, whatever. Like yeah. it's cold. So what? Like, it's just, it's just cold. Like it doesn't feel good. It's definitely not comfortable. Um, I mean, maybe it is after like a hot workout or on a hot day. When you get in there like a 35 degree day or a 30 degree day in the wintertime, oh, like lovely, that's not it? fun, right? <laughs> it's not fun. And so that's like the discipline piece. And that's the mental piece that I think helps people just kind of stay disciplined and continue on forward. Because I could, I could have taken hot showers for a year and been warm and comfortable. But like, is that really training my mental fortitude? Is that really training me to be tougher and work through discomfort? And so that's what people have to realize is that, you're being comfortable, I mean, of course, I'm not going to sit here and, and be, uh, you know, be, be, be uh, tell you that being, you know, being comfortable at times is not okay. But, you know, you have to train through uncomfortable situations. Mm -hmm. um, my One of my, my best buddies, Jeff Boss, said, I think he said it the best, was like, you know, pray for, uh, pray for a, a, a miserable life. Pray for an uncomfortable life because that's what, that's what makes you harder. That's what makes you stronger. That's what makes you, you know, have that fortitude to keep going. Um, now, granted, you, you may have some, you know, uh, you may have some baggage eventually that comes with that, um, you know, but, but those are the things that we're doing on the mental health side to help you overcome, you know, some of those things. But, you know, working through those tough situations and being uncomfortable is going to help you um succeed on the backside and so I, I i always tell people you know that um they just got you got to get out of your you got to get out of your comfort zone you got to do things that are not normal or not comfortable or not easy you know go learn new things um i have many friends i'd say the majority of them that didn't you know didn't serve so i could have been a seal i could have done this or i could have done that and i kind of laugh or smirk or smile whatever most of those individuals have never gotten out of their comfort zone. They've mm. always done something that they uh, were either good at 
you know, or they, they, it took them time to get good at at a young age. And then they never, they never ventured away uh, from learning something new because as you know, it's like trying to swing a golf club when you're 40 years old and you've never done it before. You're going to suck bad and you have to just overcome that. And, but most people are not even going to pick up the club because um, they're just embarrassed or they don't want to learn something new or it's, it's uncomfortable to, you know, sit there for weeks on end and constantly mess up and constantly feel like you're a failure, but like that's growth also. Right. Like, so you're growing through it. And, and, you know, I'm talking to someone who, who's played at the top of his game. Right. So I'm not, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. You know what it takes to, uh, to, to be the best at a sport. Um, you know, it's not a nine to five. Right. No, of course. Absolutely yeah. not. I mean, I think I think that's great advice, to be honest. And um, I, I totally agree with what you said about the discipline versus, you know, motivation thing. I mean, motivation is going to let you down every time, isn't it? There's too many. There's just too many variables out there in the world, you know, with family, with friends, with small things, you know, like the home or bills and everything. And just things come along and they just knock you, don't they? And, you know, if you're relying on motivation to get stuff done, it's just it's a recipe for failure, really, isn't it? At the end of the day, and it, it, you have to have that discipline to to go out there and you and to work every day, even if it does suck. You know, you have to get in the gym every day. You have to get up at the same time, even if you're a bit more tired one day. And that 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 really is the key to pretty much anything. I, I mean, you know, when people ask, you know, what really is the key to success? I, I mean, I personally think, you know, it's it it lies somewhere in in the discipline of doing what it is that you want to succeed at every day, even on the tough ones. Which is difficult and it's hard work. So you just said it, it is hard work. And I think people get tired of hearing that, but it's, it is so true. Like hard work will get you there and you may not be the smartest and you don't have to be the smartest, but if you keep driving, you're going to learn. Everybody's, everybody's able to learn something, right? You can mm. be very good even at a single thing. But if you just keep working at it and working at it, working at it, working at it, like that person is going to succeed for sure. He's going to find a way to get it done. But a person who's just, again, like sits back nine to five, is comfortable, uh, may, may not be willing to put in the extra effort. That person's going to stay wherever, you know, kind of five to 10 percent fluctuation each direction. You know, mm -hmm. you're not going to gain big uh make big movements absolutely not no totally agreed there that that really resonates with me and i mean i do tennis full-time as well and um i do other things like brazilian jiu-jitsu too and i recognize it you know some days it sucks you know you you're gonna hurt a bit more one day or one day you're gonna feel a bit you know not so good and might have had a bad night or you catch a cold or something recovering from an illness or family you know something's happened you know it 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 really does lay somewhere in that, okay, I'm still going to go and do this, even if it is just, you know, I'm going to go through the motions today a bit, but, um, you know, I'm still going to get myself out of bed. I'm going to go there. I'm going to have that cold shower, like you said, and um, I'm going to get in the gym or in the dojo or on, on the court, and I'm going to, you know, bash, bash, bash. And I tell you what, it's funny how it works, though, isn't it? Because you could be having one of those bad days, but I can almost guarantee, I mean, for me personally, whenever I've had one of those bad days and I have then forced myself to go get in the gym, get on the court, do something like that. If <laughs> you feel so much better after doing it because you feel a bit proud of yourself, don't you for doing it? You, you do. And, 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 and in all honesty, like all the research now has come out and just said that physical activity uh, is actually better than an antidepressant. Like literally is better for you than taking it. It's the, 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 
the, the research is showing that you're getting better results from doing exactly what you did than from popping a pill. I can totally imagine why that would be true as well. Yeah. And um, yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's funny how it works, though, because, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I do a week of training or something and then I need a day off. And if I take that day and I'm in bed the whole day, I'm just watching movies and stuff. I don't know why if, if it, that's just my my mind frame and if that's just my, my makeup in a sense. But I feel worse at the end of that day off than I did going into it, to be honest, because I just feel like, well, I've just been lazy the whole day. I haven't got anything done. But the best times I feel for my own recovery from sports and stuff it always tends to be when I've gone and done done something on that day off you know gone swimming or I've gone for a walk or got a bike ride in or something you know get out in the fresh air and feel good you know that, that that's absolutely absolutely true and even if it is you know a tougher day or something it's so beneficial to get out there and I can t- I t- I've seen that research as well that you're talking about the uh you know, for mental health and stuff, you know, exercising, it just, it, it does something for you. It makes you feel like you're improving and you're going somewhere. It's just when when you're not, you know, when you're in bed and you're just really deep in that, you know, in that rut on a bad day or something, that's where, you know, the bad thoughts start to come in. But, you know, it's it's distracting a bit as well, isn't it? You know, you go, you go for a run, you've got that air and you're thinking about, you know, each next step. It's, it's a powerful thing for sure. No, it is. Well, like yesterday, I sat in front of my laptop and answered the phone for 15 hours. I was angry at the end of the day. I was really angry. <laughs> you know, all I want to do is go to bed and forget about the day. Um, I, I really was. I said, man, like, I, I didn't do anything today aside from, you know, grind on this on this keyboard here um, and answer calls. And yeah, I mean, all I needed to do is break away for an hour uh, and go get some fresh air and walk the dog or go for a run or swim or something mm. and it would have made it would have made all the benefit um instead of going to bed angry absolutely <laughs> there you go right well um let's let's move on to the fourth and final question now this this is a deep one i'm not gonna lie it's a deep one so um if you could have a minute to be heard all over the world by combat veterans who are, who are right now suffering in silence what would you tell them so that they can get you know begin down that route to recovery and, you know, get the right help or, you know, get, get out of that situation. Yeah, I would, I would say that, um, there is absolutely hope for you and it's Mm -hmm. not, and I don't want to say it's not that bad. I don't know what you're going through, but I know for a fact that you can, you can pull yourself out of that situation. So I know whatever dark place or dark spots or, 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 you know, you know, demons that you're, you're, you're experiencing, um, the isolation and the depression or the, you know, the anxiety when you go into a place that's crowded, um, where you can't get out of bed or you can't answer, you know, the phone or, um, you know, you're having trouble with your, your wife and kids and work sucks and all this other stuff. Um, all that can go away. All that can go away by a simple shift. In your mindset, and, and, and if your if your brain is damaged, right, there's things that you can do to help also alleviate the symptoms of your mild traumatic brain injury or your traumatic brain injury, which may be causing some of the depression, some of the anxiety, potentially the PTSD. So, you know, my you know my recommendation or my um, is like you have to you have to get out there, sitting on the couch, staying in the bed isolating yourself, staying up in the mountains, moving away from everybody, you know, it's, it's probably the worst thing you can do. And 
And you don't want to hear this when you're in that place. You don't want to work out. You don't want to go for a walk. You don't want to meditate. You don't want to do yoga. You don't want to go to the gym. You don't want to do jujitsu. Like you don't want to do anything like, but you know, if you do that, like you said, if you just go for a swim, if you just get up and go for a walk, if you can get your mind out of that loop, that whatever, whatever loop is, is holding you in that place that, you know, the constant loop of, you know, I'm no good. Um, there's nothing for me to live for in this world. You know, nobody likes me. People talk about me, right? That's just that, that constant ego, right? Your default mode that just keeps, you know, operating your brain. You just have to disrupt that. And you can disrupt that by a number of different ways. You got to go seek help and you have to go, you know, work with people. You have to work with a therapist. You potentially have to work if you're, if you're going to uh, get introduced to psychedelic medicine. You have to work with an integration coach to understand, you know, how you can work through those issues. So, you know, my, my point to this is, is that you can absolutely get better, but it is going to take work. It's not just a pill, right? It's not, uh, you know, you know, Western medicine loves that, you know, give you a pill, walk away, or I give you a pill for 30 days, you come back, um, I prescribe you 30 more, you come back, like it, it, this is going to take work, right? So you are going to have to make an effort, right? You're going to have to go to the gym, you're going to have to talk to somebody about this stuff. You have to surround yourself with a community. So if you're part of that tight knit community, whatever it was, you're on a team, um, or you're on a unit, like you've got to find like your, your, uh, your tribe, right? Because if you have your tribe, you're, you're, you're not the only one. And that's the other thing I'm going to say. You, I promise 100%, you are not the only person that is going through what you think you're going through right now. I guarantee if you picked up the phone and called five people, one or two of those individuals are experiencing the exact same thing as you are. And then you can talk about that. And if you talk about it and you realize that someone else is experiencing that, you start feeling a little bit better saying, oh, I'm not the only one that's dealing with this. So-and-so is dealing with this. Maybe we should get together. Maybe we should go Maybe we should go meet in the morning and go to the gym. Maybe we should go find out who the best therapist is in the area. If I do need um, you know, psychedelic medicine, let me look into that. Let me understand what this is. Where are the legal providers around there that I can approach and talk to about this? And maybe it'll pull me out of this dark place on there. So, mm. but, it, but it takes work, Louis. It, it, it's, it's not going to be easy. Nobody's going to do it for you. You have to have buy-in. You have to have skin in the game. And you have to make an effort. Absolutely. Thank you, Marcus. Yeah, I'm sure someone's going to hear that and it's going to help someone out. And um, I totally agree with, you know, what you're saying there about, you know, people tend to get caught in this trap where they think, okay, I've got this problem. So I'm just going to pump myself full of pills for a bit. And you're right, that is Western medicine, really, isn't it? And there's this whole culture around that. But I mean, in in my personal opinion, I think at least, you know, a very large chunk of mental health issues, maybe moderate, you know, potentially even a big chunk of severe mental health problems you know the pills help you know they they, they do stuff you know that the science is there to back them but i mm-hmm. i do believe that at least a huge percentage of them are very 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 fixable you know improvable through lifestyle changes with what you're actually doing you know day to day and how you're actually helping yourself with the small things you know whether that's going and looking at the sunset or going for a run or going mm-hmm. swimming and doing stuff hanging out with the right kind of people. Would you would you agree with that as well? I, I would completely agree. And I tell you what, you know, if the pill helps you get to a place where you're able to 
start enjoying other things or at least make an effort, then then that that's why they're there, right? Because the pill itself is not going to solve your problem. Yeah. It's it's going to be it's going to fix the um the the uh the symptom, right? That you're mm. try, that you're struggling with, but it's still not going to get to the root cause of why it's, you know, why you're going through whatever you're going through. So if the pill is able to at least um, make the symptom go away and enable you to make some effort to go watch the sunset, to go eat better, to go start working out again mm. or focus more on work, whatever, then, then do it. Right. But, but again, it's the work, right? It's not just taking the pill and expecting life to be uh, okay. Right. You still have sure. to make the concerted effort. And so that's, that's the big thing here. And then, you know, antidepressants do work for about 40. They're still, I think, trying to figure out maybe 30 to 50% of the population. But, you know, when you take that pill, they don't tell you that you're supposed to do work alongside that. And you're really only supposed to take those pills for like, like six months max, sure. not seven years that I was on mm-hmm. um, and, and more. Like I know I have friends have been on them for 20, right? Like that's not how they were designed. They were designed to, to stop some symptoms, get you moving, get you going again. And then, um, you know, and then kind of move on. Absolutely. I mean, I I suppose my kind of analogy for for what you're explaining there would probably be, it's like, imagine you have, you know, a deep wound on your leg or something. And the pills are almost like the plaster or something that you're putting over it. But realistically, you need to fix you know the real issue which tends to be in lifestyle and you need you need the stitches you can't you can't just put you know you can't just put a band-aid over over something that's you know a deep wound um that's that's probably how i would how i would look at the whole thing but yeah i totally agree um absolutely spot on with that answer and i I do hope that you know someone struggling not just in the military or veteran or something i do hope that you know my friends and you know the people who listen to the podcast if they know someone they that they take this advice as well and i do hope that you know the message does get spread around correctly because you know it does it does need to be heard and um yeah marcus um that is obviously the four questions done now for today and um before we wrap it up it is time for what i like to call the shameless plug so marcus feel free to take a minute and promote anything that you're working on you want people to take a look at or just something that you believe in yeah, I love it. Well, um, you could always look at what we're doing at Vets. Um, we are still growing. We are very vested into kind of changing the world and helping everyone. As you said, we started with veterans, but, you know, we know that the whole world is, is going through the mm-hmm. same issues. Um, you know, we have one in five in the U.S. that's identified. So we think that is higher that have a mental health thing that's going on i want to call it issue but it's an issue or whatever you know whatever it is so you can come visit uh vetsolutions.org uh there's a education portal um you can kind of learn what we're doing um you know it is built for veterans but uh we have so many inbounds from the private sector that um it's causing us to grow right and so we can only grow so much as a nonprofit um charity and so what I had to do is um, I am actually right at the cusp of launching a for-profit business, uh, really off of the demand of what's happened at Vets. We, we're overwhelmed. We get over 10 applications a day, not just veterans anymore, first responders and executives and, and all these folks. You know, it really, um, it made me kind of sit back and go, well, how do I solve this bigger problem? 
And uh, I got hooked up with a, a firm out of Washington, D.C. called Red Cell Partners. They're, uh, they're a VC that incubates uh, entrepreneurs like myself. And uh, they got very interested in vets a couple years ago and started donating money. Um, the senior partner there. And um, they really liked the mission. And they just said, hey, how do you expand this to the world? Why don't you figure that out? And so I consulted for a year and, and we all got together and tried to figure out how do we, you know, my vision is expand access, uh, provide affordability for people like underserved or just can't pay for it. Because right now, the only thing that is um, legal in the U.S. in terms of psychedelic medicine is ketamine assisted psychotherapy. And it's very expensive. So my thing is, well, if we're offering these medicines to people, we have failed again as a healthcare system, if only people that are wealthy that can afford them. So, so my vision is provide um, access and affordability to uh, people who are, are interested in psychedelic medicine. And so we are, uh, we've been working on this for uh, just about a year and we're ready to launch. Uh, the company is going to be called Tara, T-A-R-A, Tara Mind. Uh, Tara is the goddess of... Uh, in uh, Buddhist and Hindu uh, cultures of empathy and pulling people out of um, out of uh, struggling situations into the light. And we thought it was like kind of like a perfect theme for what we do. Yeah, um, what I'm building with uh, Red Cell Partners is this uh, care navigation and engagement platform for psychedelic medicine. So basically what I'm doing is connecting the whole ecosphere of providers, of therapists, of coaches with legal uh, psychedelic options. And right now in the U.S., it's it's ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. So I'm building this massive network of all these individuals. We'll have thousands of, of vetted uh, providers on here uh, to be able to, um, you know, be able to connect, right? So individuals want to know where to go for these treatments. Well, that's what I'm building. And providers need more individuals that are looking for these treatments. And so we're just going to build the whole platform around it and provide education, um, it's going to be, it's going to be wonderful. And basically we're going to take it vets, what we did for veterans and provide that to the world. And so very excited, uh, that, that, that's going to be launching here pretty soon. Fantastic stuff. Um, that, that, that sounds brilliant. And wow, look at you, man, you're a, you're an ex Navy SEAL and you're an entrepreneur and you're working on a very sorely needed cause and you're doing a fantastic job. So, um, yeah, Marcus, Thank you so much for joining me today for the Talk 4 podcast. It has been my absolute pleasure having you on and thank you for your time. Well, Louis, thank you for giving me the opportunity and it's it's people like you that allow uh, people like me to get the word out. So thank you. No problem. Yeah, honestly, thank you for your service and uh, for everything that you do, you know, to make the world a better place. And um, it, it has been an absolute pleasure. What an episode. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. We're very excited to, to hear it fantastic well thank you guys for listening this has been episode 31 i can't believe it 31 episodes uh, and if you'd like to listen to our past episodes there's some great ones out there go and have a look at our channel and if you'd like to listen in for our future ones make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave a leave a comment leave a like spread some love and signing off for now